Hello and welcome to Giving Connect, Philanthropy Australia's latest podcast. In this series, we'll seek to explore some of the key themes that help illuminate how successful grant making works. Our host for each episode is Ben Clark, Head of Philanthropy and Social Investment at Australian Executive Trustees. His special guest today is Sean Cannon, CEO of the Kids Plus Foundation. Sean is also co-trustee of the Alexander Miller Estate, a perpetual charitable foundation supporting social housing, and has previously served as a non-executive director at Back to Back Theatre and the Council to Homeless Persons. Thanks for joining us, Sean, and now over to you, Ben. Thanks, Nick, and thanks, Sean, for for joining us today. Great to have you participating in today's discussion where we'll explore post-2020 and COVID, what does the new normal look like? We've just learned a little bit around the sort of three hats that you wear uh, within the philanthropic sector, both as a trustee, a not-for-profit leader, and indeed as a board member. Tell us a little bit about your current organisation and what attracted you to your current role. Uh, g'day, Ben, and uh, thanks for the the opportunity to have a chat. Well, uh, I've been at uh, Kids Plus for for six years, and and Kids Plus is a for purpose community organisation based in Geelong. We do specialist allied health uh, services, primarily for uh, young people with with cerebral palsy. At the moment, we work with about two hundred and fifty young people. And our range of kind of supports and services extends across uh, physio and speech, allied health, social work, support coordination, support and rec programs, uh, a little bit of research, a little bit of training. Um, so it's a pretty kind of comprehensive service that we provide here, kind of family-centred. We try and make the service provision as holistic as we can. We've been around for about 20 years and, you know, we've found our niche specialising in this area, working with um, uh, young people and and cerebral palsy in particular. And tell us a little bit more about Alexander Miller Estate and and what your role as trustee of of that charitable trust involves. So I'm a co-trustee on Alexander Miller, um, and uh, you know Alexander Miller is one of the great uh, success stories of of Australian philanthropy. I reckon um, the trust was set up way back in in 1914. So to that extent, I think Alexander Miller, one of the one of the uh, pioneers of Australian philanthropy, and and for Alexander Miller, his his purpose when he when he set up the the trust was around about uh, the relief of poverty uh, for people in in regional and rural Victoria. He had a particular focus on Geelong, and then some of the surrounding communities in the area. And over the years, you know, the trust has had uh, a particular focus on provision of of housing for those that are experiencing homelessness or are at risk of of homelessness. And over the years, the the, the trust has has evolved, and it will continue to evolve as it, as it tries to, you know, uh, with the resources it's got uh, available, uh, make a contribution to to the alleviation of of homelessness. I think significantly in in more recent years, the the trust embarked on a really interesting collaboration with with Winteringham uh, and Winteringham Housing, and you know a combination of the philanthropic trust and an expert uh, community service provider has just enabled the the trust to to thrive, and it's also been able to thrive on the back of some very significant 
external capital funding that was made available um, from the federal government. So kind of a combination of uh, the equity that the trust has, uh, the ability to engage an external expert service provider in Wintringham and some very significant capital funding from, from the federal government has just kind of enabled the trust to reinvent itself. Um, and it's going to be really interesting just to see where the trust goes, you know, in coming years. You know, as we all know, the demand for social housing uh, continues to grow. Um, so, you know, the challenges for philanthropic foundations is to have an interest in that space to kind of explore and investigate and be creative to try and find some solutions as best they can. But, you know, it's, it's a real privilege uh, to be involved with the trust. And you know, I'm sure that Alexander Miller is really pleased that we continue to carry on the work that he embarked upon more than 100 years ago. Sean, you're in a unique position where you can provide a perspective from being both a co-trustee of a grant-making institution and the CEO of a a grant-seeking organisation. Can you give us uh, some insight into um, the various roles, responsibilities and functions of working for a grant-seeking organisation and being a steward of a grant-making foundation? Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting because they're both are really different dynamics. Primarily, when you're in the CEO role, you have that primary responsibility to drive the direction that the organisation is going to take. And you've got the responsibility to make the decisions around uh, what the organisations are going to do and, and why you're going to be doing those things. You know, in contrast, the role of a co-trustee is to kind of provide that oversight and governance role. And then to make an assessment as to the the decisions and the actions that are happening on the ground are the right ones. So you can still have influence, but it's one, uh, it's more of oversight and support. Whereas in the CEO role, it's really about uh, taking the initiative uh, and then making decisions and being decisive around that. So, so Kids Plus Foundation you mentioned is sort of prides itself on its service delivery specialisation. Keen to get your reflections on on 2020. Clearly, it was a year of, of service disruption. Um, can you share with us some of your um, your observations and, and reflections on Kids Plus um, Foundation's experiences? So like everyone else, 2020 was was challenging. It, it caused us to kind of reorient the way we went about our work. Uh, we are a, a client-facing provider of services. Um, it's hands-on. We, we do, uh, for the most part, um, physical therapy with, with the young people that, that we're working with. And, and as a consequence, when COVID uh, disrupted the way in which we normally go about our services, just caused a, a pretty uh, dramatic rethink about how we we're going to do things. So, as a consequence, you know, and, and it was a very similar uh, scenario for, for the majority of organisations and service providers. Um, we just had to do things differently. And, and for us, that meant, you know, a, a mm. quick conversion and exploration around how we could continue to provide um, a service provision without uh, having direct kind of physical access to our client cohort. So for us, that meant um, a quick conversion to telehealth and uh, thinking about how we could do that to greatest effect. So there are plenty kind of challenges in that early on, and there were lots of learnings. Uh, I think everyone understood that the situation that we faced wasn't unique to Kids Plus. So everyone had a willingness that, you know, we weren't going to get things right straight away and we would continue to improve things as, as we went along. What we kind of learned, though, pretty early was that that people embraced the change quickly. 
and were prepared to kind of accommodate and modify their own expectations in light of the environment in which we were working. I think it helped uh, the transition and that it was, you know, a whole of community response. So I think people, you know, uh, understood the rationale behind making the changes that we did. They understood that we needed to make some decisions uh, quickly. And I think everyone also understood that, you know, whilst there's kind of a fair bit of uncertainty and anxiousness within the within the broader community, we just need to give ourselves a bit of time to try and get things right. And and for most parts, you know, we, we were able to provide really effective uh, services throughout the period of essentially working from home and not having access to our clients. Just sort of reflecting on that idea around, um, you know, the, the notion that people are so willing to embrace change and to, to respond so quickly. I'm kind of, I want to just go into a little bit more detail around this idea of getting everyone on the same page and, and how you as an organisation and also as a CEO, you know, responsible um, for huge designing the change, communicating the change and then implementing the change, not only to the personnel within Kids Plus Foundation, but to your community of, of clients as well. What were some of the communication challenges that were thrown up in that context where, you know, there was almost an overload of, of information? I think early on, people were keen to get a sense of some decisive decision-making. What we wanted to do was actually try and give people a bit of clarity around what we were going to do and then why we were doing it and then when we thought we were likely to try and bring about those changes. Part of the context, as you said, there was, there was a lot of kind of uncertainty within the community as to the extent of COVID and, and the impact that it was going to have on us more broadly. So we thought it was really important early on just to kind of be decisive in our decision making and then people know pretty early on what our intentions were. I think one of the things that, that helped is that when we became clear around what we thought we'd like to do, we tried to kind of put some timeframes around that and then kind of make them as lengthy as possible to kind of give people the certainty that we weren't going to be kind of changing the rules every couple of weeks. So for us, we thought it was preferable to kind of think about what we thought the landscape was going to look like, put a plan in place, and then give people a pretty clear indication as to how long we thought that that plan would be for. And for us, um, our preference was to try and do things in kind of three to four month blocks rather than three to four weeks. Because I just thought that if there was going to be continuity of change, then that was probably just going to impact on people's any existing levels of kind of anxiousness or uncertainty that people had. So for us, it was about being pretty decisive up front and then clear around the rationale for the decisions that we were making. I think the other thing that we tried to do is that whilst we wanted to have control around what we wanted to do organisationally, as best we could, we wanted to kind of align that decision-making in accordance with the best advice that we're able to get from, from the health authorities and the government. Um, to some extent, the less decisions that we had to make, I reckon was a good thing because it just kind of simplified things. So if we could kind of leverage off the advice and the direction that was being provided by the health authorities, well, to a large extent, that kind of simplified and reduced the amount of decisions that, that we had to make. And as a consequence, we just kind of tried to follow it in alignment with those as best we could. How was the communications from the health authorities? Uh, pretty good. I, I mean, I think they I think they were pretty good. There were, there were regular updates. 
uh, and they were pretty clear around what the community expectations were. So clearly there was recommendations early on that they were trying to kind of um, prevent or prohibit uh, community movement. So as an essential service, there wasn't a requirement for Kids Plus to cease face-to-face service delivery, but, but clearly that was one of the the intentions and expectations of the health authorities that, that if you could reduce community mobility, that would be a good thing. And as a uh, as a consequence, that will, that's what we did. We kind of voluntarily went to a, a working from home provision for the best part of six months. The authorities were clear around their expectations around things such as personal protective equipment. So when masks yeah. were mandated, that's what we did. Whether it be shields, that's what we did. If it was glasses, that's that's what we did. So I think, you know, for, for the most part, the information and the advice that was coming out from from the authorities around what to do in response to COVID was was pretty good, and organisations were able to kind of inform themselves with uh, the yeah. information that they needed to kind of then make decisions uh, for their organisations. Great. So, in the, I guess if we can in summarise um, uh, some of those key learnings around the importance of decisive decision making, and I guess the willingness of people to embrace change quickly. What will your organisation be doing differently this calendar year and even beyond? It's really interesting because I, I, I think that um, organisations are just starting to see some of the potentials that that um, started to emerge as a consequence of some forced changes last year. I mean, Kids Plus is an organisation that's kind of often spoken about uh, the ability to kind of engage a far greater audience, have more reach, more influence by introducing services and what 2020 did was actually kind of force that change upon us and then having kind of worked through it now for the best part of nine months we've got some really good learnings around telehealth and where it works well and some of the situations where perhaps it's not a great fit what we know now is that telehealth works really well for some of the time for some of our client groups as a consequence, you know, this year and beyond, we're going to be uh, looking to develop a specialist kind of telehealth type program, which will just become a permanent and embedded part of our, our overall program. That's something that we may have got to eventually, um, but 2020 just kind of accelerated movement into that field. It's given us kind of more um, confidence, I think, to embrace uh, some of the opportunities that the technology provides. So as an organisation, I think we're going to be more open-minded about how we can do things more efficient, efficiently through some of the kind of mediums that uh, became available uh, during 2020. The other thing which uh, has impacted us is that it did kind of open our eyes to uh, opportunities around workplace flexibility. Um, Organization, we've always had the flexibility to kind of work from home or do things a little bit differently. But um, 2020 just reiterated that, you know, working from home, increased workplace flexibility can work um, if there's a bit of kind of structure. So we'll probably move to having um, more uh, provisions for uh, things such as working from home in 2021 and beyond. Yeah. I think there's there's no doubt um, after that period of us all working from home, we were all really keen to get back to the office and yeah. we we're all really keen to be back here now. I think that for yeah. us, uh, face-to-face contact uh, works really well. But if it can be kind of supplemented by occasional working from home provisions and so on, that'll be fine. And I think that'll be just become a permanent fixture of the way we go about our work. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the... Um 
people's willingness to embrace technology as a as a sort of a facilitator of um, of easier communication and collaboration has been been a positive um, for the sector more broadly. Are there any other, I guess, reflections, be it through discussions you've had with your peers and colleagues in sectors, either as a co-trustee or as a CEO of an um, you know, impressive not-for-profit organisation about what the new normal looks like for the, for the philanthropic sector? It's really interesting. I mean, I think it's going to evolve because often, as you know, I mean, there's a bit of a lag. So you have an incident, there's a kind of a short-term immediate response, and then it takes a little bit of time to kind of actually work around how things have actually landed um, once the full extent of the impact has become known. One of the things that, that became really evident to us, so early on, there's this focus on ourselves, organisationally, how we're going to do things and so on. Then what we kind of soon realised that, you know, not only do we need to kind of adjust the way in which we were doing things, we became really mindful of uh, the impact that COVID was having on the families and the young people that we were working with. So the consequence of COVID was having kind of impacts on financial pressures at home, potentially workplace pressures at home, trying to engage uh, students in home-based learning, et cetera, et cetera, difficulties in accessing services and so on. So one of the kind of the challenges and the complexities I reckon of 2020 was not only were the organisational pressures, but the, but the cohort of clients that you're endeavouring to support also going through all these kind of complexities on their home life. And that just kind of created uh, some additional challenges. How that kind of starts, how we all start to kind of emerge from that in 2021, um, I think it will be will be really interesting. The impact in terms of the, the philanthropic community, I, I saw some extent to which foundations deliberately tried to respond to the pressures that, that COVID was, was creating. But I think one of the challenges uh, around that was that often you just need a little bit more time to kind of get a, um, um, an impression of the actual needs that need to be addressed and so I think that there was probably some challenges from the from the sector around getting that balance between a short-term uh, injection support and then giving yourself a bit of, a little bit more time then to make uh, a full assessment of where their funds may go uh, more appropriately down the track. Thanks so much, Sean. Really appreciate you making the time and sharing those insights with us today. We do like to finish these episodes off just with one question. What would be some changes that you'd like to see the way that grant seekers and grant makers connect? It's really interesting. I mean, there's a couple of things. So from uh, the perspective of a uh, service provider, I think increasingly um, foundations are putting uh, really tight parameters around the sorts of projects that they'll support and the areas in which they're prepared to provide support. And we all understand the rationale for that. Uh, There's always going to be more uh, demand for support than there is supply. But I think one of the downsides to having really tight kind of parameters as to where philanthropic funding will go is that it kind of cuts off the opportunities for uh, many service providers to get a look in um, uh, to some potential support. And I think there is a kind of some risks in that because I think you limit uh, your ability as a funder then to be able to identify some really outstanding organisations that are doing some outstanding uh, work. So I think from my perspective, the suggestion that that I'd probably have is it's for foundations not to focus so much on particular areas that they're going to provide support, but to kind of focus on trying to find those outstanding organisations irrespective of whatever field that they're working in, and then identify them for support. Because 
I think for those outstanding organisations, if they're given a bit of support, uh, if they're given additional capacity, they're going to put whatever funding they get to, to good use. So I think just to um, ideally a little bit more of an open-minded approach as to uh, the sorts of organisations which which may be recipients for, for philanthropic funding. And, and the other thing which I think would be really helpful is that many uh, foundations and donors continue to um, provide support in, in one-year tranches. Uh, and and sometimes uh, that's the only way that it can be, but there's certainly scenarios where that doesn't need to be the case. And as you and many others appreciate, I mean, it's really difficult to try and bring about some considerable change and impact within within 12 months. What organisations need is they need a bit of capacity and they need a bit of time. So, you know, with my, I guess, service provider hat on, you know, the best use of philanthropic funding is when it can be over time and at a scale and a level whereby you can do something really tangible with it. So, yeah, in essence, it's kind of, I think it would be keep an open mind, try and identify outstanding organisations and then give them time and enough funding to achieve whatever objectives that they, they set out to achieve. Great. Thanks so much, Sean. That was Ben Clark, Head of Philanthropy and Social Investment at Australian Executive Trustees, with Sean Cannon, CEO of Kids Plus Foundation. This has been the Giving Connect series of the Philanthropy Australia podcast. Next week, Ben's special guest will be Rachel English, Foundation Manager at Mutual Trust. I'm Nick Richardson, and thanks for listening.